Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It takes a pandemic. Okay, you fill in the rest. For instance, it takes a pandemic for me to finally clean out my desk. It takes a pandemic to start reading that pile of New Yorkers. Uh, it takes a pandemic for me to finally learn to pay. Well, for audiences of live performance, it takes a pandemic to cherish our actors and musicians. With our great jazz venues and theaters closed, live performance has stopped. But actors and musicians continue to create. They have to. It's who they are. For this Hunker Down podcast, I talk with these artists who perform for a living about how social distancing is affecting their work now and when this is all over. About their dedication to the art of live performance. Tara O'Connor plays the flute and Daniel Phillips the violin. They are most accomplished, versatile, and sought-after classical musicians whose performance and teaching resumes are vast. Daniel Phillips is a graduate of Juilliard and founding member of the Orion String Quartet and is a regular performer at the Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center. He has performed as a soloist with the Pittsburgh, Boston, Houston, Phoenix, San Antonio, and Yakima symphonies and many others. Tara O'Connor is a flute player whose repertoire spans every music era. She is a seasoned artist of the Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center, also played with the Orion String Quartet, St. Lawrence Quartet, Emerson String Quartet, and many others. She conducts a legendary master flute class in Banff Center in Canada every summer. Tara and Daniel recently took over the artistic directorship of the Angel Fire Music Festival, and they are married and live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I just wanted to thank you and uh, Daniel and Tara for joining me for Hunkered Down. I want to thank Ralph Schulte for getting us together. I've um, become friends with him, and I'm quite honored, and it's delightful that I get to know and meet all of you wonderful musicians who are doing such fantastic work. So let me uh, let me ask you how you're doing in this moment of being hunkered down and on the Upper West Side. We're doing fine, and you know, it's it's it was uh, an insane and and uh, upsetting uh, thing to get used to because as uh, the days went by, where a new level of of restriction and and horror kept happening. We're we're fortunate because we, even though all our performing gigs were canceled, our our teaching positions are intact and. And teaching online has been surprisingly effective and worthwhile. Good. We're in a COVID central being on the Upper West Side. Where exactly are you on the Upper West Side? Can you say? 90s 90s on West End. Where are 90s? 98. Because we're in 92nd. Oh, wow. And West End. So you're just up the block here. Yeah, Yeah, just up the block. Wow. Just up the hill. Well, you're down where the West End Avenue is closed. We are down, and we've been broad. We've been uh, opening, putting an open mic downstairs 
in front of the Windermere on 92nd Street and collecting testimony from people asking how they're doing. You're invited to take take the oh. walk down and yeah. you know yeah, down do? down the hill. I'll send my harpist friend June Han, who's right there, down to speak on your mic. As well. That would be great. We we get there about uh, five thirty six, and we hang out to about seven seven thirty. when everyone banks their pots and blows their bubbles and stuff, and so uh, I guess you're not doing that up there. Oh yeah, no, there. That's a very no. It's a, a very joyful noise grateful time of day and it's longer and longer each day as i've noticed the first day it was it's like it goes on for like five five minutes now six minutes right exactly how are your doggies doing you have two dakuns yes uh yeah. chloe we're, and we're Ava, Ava? Life of their dreams what's that we're, we're we're living the life of their dreams we're we're, <laughs> we're home like all the time yeah and uh they have they have and, you yeah it's like this is great for them right well, Yesterday you spent you spent four hours in the park yeah, with them, and yeah, they they good. laid in one spot and then moved to the next one and laid down. And Denny <laughs> sent me pictures of the dogs laying in the grass. You know that's just what they do. You know, it's very strange for them. You know, I mean we, I think the first week the the period of adjustment was really it was insane because we spent we spent time trying to figure out how to keep our house safe first, right, and how to keep us safe, and then and then how to how to deal with the dog walking and the masks and then and we were already hunkered down before um before any kind of you know uh, uh thing came from government saying right. oh you should hunker down i mean i, I said to danny you know we should we have to go teach here this week because so we're not going there and then later that week there was there was a case of covid there and they had to disinfect and then um i had just gotten back from a tour and um and I said, that's it, we're staying in, we're not doing anything. And then slowly things started to happen, but I had been preparing, you know, I'm a germaphobe and I've been preparing for a pandemic my entire life. So, um, <laughs> Finally, you, you know, must feel right at home now. Well, you know, what I've noticed is that my friends who were never concerned about germs before are now like I was, and now I'm a lunatic. You know, I mean, I'm much worse than I was. Like I told my husband, I was away in Arizona and I said, you need to go to the store and get this, this, and this, and this. This is like back in end of February, early March. And he said, no. And I said, do, just do me a favor, like the, the that old happy wife, happy life thing. Just, mm -hmm. just do as I ask. And then suddenly these boxes started appearing. And the first box was like three giant tubs of Purell sanitizer, which we're still working our way Good through. Good for you. Had, yeah. And then, and I bought masks in December. And because like when I read the first, the first news of, of a really weird thing, I was like, hmm getting masks i got some masks so we were pretty well stocked before the whole thing hit and then then we just stayed in and figured out how to do delivery and then figuring out also how to sanitize the dogs when they come in because there's like a place right in our front foyer where i have the gloves and the and the wipes for the dogs sandy paws mm -hmm. um as a, and then um and uh, purell so we come in we clean there and then we come all the way and then go right to the sink and clean. We have a whole system. We have a mask hanging thing. Right. You know, I have a UV light coming in a kite because it's going to be around for a while. We're going to be dealing with this for a while. Wow, you've gone the whole 10 yards here. Let's talk about your um, your music. How did you get into music? Why are you a musician? I sort of know why Daniel's a musician because I read about your father, Eugene Phillips, oh. who was your first teacher. Um, and maybe we could talk to Daniel about, you know, what was your inspiration to get started? Was it just your father? Was it he the one 
that pushed you into it and said, this is what you're going to be? Well, as, as children, all, all, me and my brother and sister were, were always given the choice. But then if we wanted to keep doing it, we had to do it at a certain certain standard. Mm -hmm. I do have like dim memories of a key, uh, a fingerboard in front of my face and mm -hmm. plucking on the strings. Yeah. So, yeah, my father couldn't wait. You know, like in the 50s, if you, you know, in the maternity ward, if you're a boy, you got like blue block boxing gloves on the door. And a girl, you got like, I don't forget what you used to get. Flowers. Flowers. Something, something yeah. like, mm -hmm. I, I had a little, little tin violin. Wow. On my door. But we have this picture of Danny also, like, he's, how old are you? Like, one sitting up in a crib, three, two, like, like reaching for the violin that his father's holding for him. Reaching. So he yeah. was like a prodigy by the well, time I, he was. I like, was encouraged. You know, Encourage well, but okay, but he's not saying the whole story. Like his mother is a brilliant pianist, and she's ninety three this year, uh -huh. and she still plays. And her video is on YouTube, actually. So he grew up basically in a conservatory of music. Yeah. Well, yeah, they they both taught after school. My dad was in the Pittsburgh Symphony. Yeah. Three thirty to six thirty, and all day Saturday, there there was like at least a, a piano and a violin studio going. And then my aunt Fernie taught in the back parlor, and he, even for a while, another one of my dad's students taught in a different room on the on the third floor. So we sometimes we would have like four lessons going on in the house, and then my practicing and my brother's practicing. And one more thing about your father: he died in uh, 2017. You uh, played Bach, I read at at his funeral or his memorial. And uh, yeah, I, and his memorial also, yeah. Mm -hmm. He was also an artist and a sculptor and a woodworker and so and, composer. The, and a composer. So so the family put together a program for where where they were living, and we bought down his artwork. And I made a program bill for for him about his life, and I I gave the family books and. I spent like nights and nights talking to his mom, just recording her about how they met and put a whole little book together for the family as a keepsake. But um, but it was really, it was a beautiful event. We did it a, a, like a month and a half after he passed, right? Something like that? Yeah. Yeah. The Remembrance to him, Aaron Boyd, the violinist, had said that uh, a teacher um, puts forward into their students a certain sound and that um, your father had a certain kind of sound that he gave over to his students. Uh, would you would you agree with uh, Mr. Boyd? I, I suppose there's certain certain aesthetics, but with my dad, it was more of the uh, how should I say un unfettered uh, creativity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he had a he had a, a unique way of of uh, being. Ex Ex fully expressive of the music. Mm -hmm. It was very personal and, and very big and much more um, chance-taking or individualistic than uh, I'd say my brother would agree to than, than both of us. Okay, all right. I wanted to hear how Tara got started in music, too. I don't... She kind of walked away. Oh, no, I'm here. I was okay. looking for... Yeah, her, her story is different than me. Yeah, I, I... I have the opposite story of of Danny probably um i grew up in a you know in a in a nice suburb of long island with my my parents who were amazing and um they uh pretty early on they i think maybe when i was like 
three or something, I had this toy organ that I would play. My parents would be watching TV or so. I said, oh, come watch TV and then get all, all the kids together, maybe at four at this point. And I'd, I'd have to go in my room and I would sit in there and just compose and I would play on this thing all the time. And my parents just, they were a little bit freaked out, I think, and, and not musicians themselves. And so... What were they into? What did they do? My dad was an air traffic controller. My mom was a mom. Okay. Um, so, but her mother actually was an opera singer who died when my mother was two, but she was apparently good enough, like supposed to sing at the Met, but the parents were in politics and, and partly responsible for the downfall of Tammany Hall, I think, in New York. Like there's a park downtown named after them. Ahern Park is my mother's maiden name. Oh. And it's across from the Abramson's Art, Art, Art Center down that's, they had a bunch of, um, brownstones down there but so there, so music was kind of in the family but not not in anyone's recent memories so um so my parents recognized that there was something off with their one of their children <laughs> and they got me some dance lessons and then when I turned five my father thought we should have piano lessons so I started on piano and then um the flute became really a thing my neighbor played it and I just wanted to play that so I started in school and I took lessons with her and it all kind of went from there it's kind of kind of an amazing thing so basically you know a, a Long Island kid growing up and and playing in the you know in school band with private lessons on the side yep. and that's that's how it went and, and it was funny when I was in third grade I took the test this high medium low test to see if you could qualify for um an instrument and of course I passed it the first time and and they said you know we you should play viola and I said well, I want to play the flute and they said well you can't do that until fourth grade and, and you might not pass the test you know if you take it again so you might want to start on strings and we can transition you next to the next one and I said you know I'm actually I'm playing for your chorus right now I'm accompanying the chorus so what's it is it isn't it highly unlikely that I'll lose my ability to hear high, medium, and low in a year? You know, like I think I'll take my chances. Yeah, yeah, nine, a nine, yeah. Yeah, uh, I I'm always curious about how a musician chooses the instrument that they're going to dedicate their life to. I was talking with Robert Kahn, who is a junior conductor at the Curtis Institute in Philadelphia, and uh, I asked, you know, do do different musicians have different personalities? You, you two are very different. I wonder, is there a flute personality? Is there a violin personality? And how, do you, how is it that you fall in love with a particular instrument? You knew you were a flutist. Yeah. No, I knew from the minute I heard it. Yeah. What was it, what was it that you felt or heard that said, that's it? I just, I, th I just loved, I instantly loved it. I mean, there was something, something about the sound of it that immediately appealed to me and I had to have it. There wasn't, it wasn't like I, um, you know, I, my parents bought me to concerts with Alicia De La Roja because they really wanted me to be a pianist in the end. They really wanted me to do that. And, and for me, it was, it was the flute. It was the, always the flute. And I, um, I, I, I can't, I, I feel like it chose me. I feel like I didn't have a choice. Do you know what I mean? Like I had a choice, but, but you, I think you, you gravitate towards the sonority of something and it really, it hits close to, to who you need to be and it chooses you. And I think, I, I don't think you have a choice really. Sounds like a little like Harry Potter in the wand. Maybe. <laughs> the wand chooses you. It chooses you. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I, I grew up in, in, into it playing violin and piano and I, I think uh, 
I might have chosen violin partly to to identify with my dad, mm-hmm. possibly. Mm-hmm. And uh, you look just like him. Also, I had like the world's worst kindergarten teacher, but the kindergarten was basically go play where you want. And of course, I would go in the corner and color with the you know the nerds, and not and not play with the blocks and. Yeah. I mean, she didn't. Anyway, it was, it was, I I felt very, uh, you know. At the bottom of the heap in there. I remember even thinking then, oh, I've got to have 12 more years of this that I'm out. Wow. <laughs> I, I knew that. But anyway, they, she wanted, they wanted to do a Christmas show. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they said, well, if you have any kind of talents, you do anything, go, go ahead and bring it in. So I brought my little the tiny 16th size violin in. And I played something like Wicked Hard, actually. The teacher was had her jaw on the floor. <laughs> all, all of a sudden, I, I could, I think I gained distinction as, as far, far above the whole class, you know, because I could do that. Yeah. I, so I, I'm trying to, that could, that could be why. Yeah. Those, both those reasons. But, but, you know, I, I, I hear the violin, it still pulls at me better. And I've, I hear a great violinist play. I think, I get, it pulls me in. I mean, one of the things I wanted to ask is like how, and I don't think there's an answer to this, how do you hear music as opposed to say, how do I hear music? I'm not a musician. I love music. Part of it is that with that musicians do it all the time. Yeah. Like yeah. I even use that as an example with my students. Like in, in hearing like music that no one likes, like Arnold Schoenberg's music. So I, so what I, I do is I play the beginning of the fantasy for violin and you know, and then for the student, and then uh, this house. Oh, uh-huh. oh that's ugly. Oh, Then I, I sit at the piano and I play like the the notes over and over again. Like make it, and you can sort of start to hear the harmony of it for like a minute. So listen to that, and then then I play it again, and all of a sudden it sounds well. Uh, I'm seeing something there. Yeah, it sounds very powerful and mm-hmm. expressive now. So right, it, it, I, I played it the same way, but just the familiarity of it is uh, interesting. So, I mean, part, part of the enjoyment is the, is the educating, is being educated. Well, but also I think, I think that we, we experience music very, very differently, whether or not we have firsthand, you know, a knowledge of how an instrument works or having it in our, in our possession, right? Right. And then, and then how we respond to it as a listener. I mean, because we're on both sides of that all the time, right? So you're, you're on the one hand, you're familiar, like with the Schoenberg, you understand it, you get, you get it, but also then you also have the experience of listening. And, and those two things are different because they, you know, when you're listening, you're listening critically if you're a musician or you're listening to, to find meaning or to have an experience. And, 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 um, and I think that people hear things very, very differently, but what they respond to, they know what they like. They know, like, we know that you don't have to be a musician to love a piece of music, 
right. right? Just because it it reaches you in a place that that language can't reach. It 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 touches emotions and and it brings it brings something new to every person that hears it. It could be a rhythmic thing. It could be the sonority of something. It could be the combination of instruments. Why why it's appealing is very very unique and very different to every person. I think. Yeah, but some music is ear candy. It's just like you just can hear it and just so lovely and it's beautiful and emotional. And then some things like um, I did a show on like electronic music and Davidovsky, which is, um, you know, it's like you just, if you don't kind of sit down and kind of let it run, run over you and then run over you again, as Daniel was saying, mm -hmm. and kind of try to figure out what's going on here and, and not say, I, I hate this, Schoenberg, I hate Schoenberg. It's like, I, but mm -hmm. giving it a chance. Mm -hmm. um, and when I talk to people about film, because I teach film, I sometimes get into that because people like certain kind of eye candy film, and, and dismiss other kinds. One, one quick thing about the film thing is like, listen to a score. Like I, I do film scores, I play on them sometimes, right? So sometimes they're really, really fun and, and, and the music is very catchy. And then, or like we were watching Twilight Zone the other night and it's just the most, the most atonal things you can imagine, but, but it works perfectly. And nobody is freaking out when they hear that. No, you know? you're talking about right. the old Twilight Zone. The Rod, the Rod uh, what's his name? Yeah, the old one. Yeah, but yeah. That, 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 if you heard that in a concert, that that was that kind of music was being done. Then it is avant-garde music. Interesting. It's, Never thought of that. Everyone, yeah. everyone's happy with it in the background of a weird, of a weird movie. But oh, we can't sit through twenty minutes of it, it in the hall. Doesn't it's sound, weird. Doesn't sound like uh, row, row like your it. boat and Mozart. Yeah. yeah. Give me another example. You have another example of a movie or a television show in which the music is kind of identified with it. I, Twilight Zone. That's a great, I, great. Twilight Zone or any any of those any, black and white movies from any, what was the one that we were watching the other night with um. Like on, if, if you just like two o'clock in the morning on like we TV, like really like weird channels, me TV or whatever. Yeah. True. Okay. All right. But Hitchcock. I, no, I was just thinking Hitchcock and Vertigo. Herman. Yeah. Bernard Herman is like, it's just amazing stuff. So okay. I often often think though, like you go to if if you went to a concert and heard a Bernard Herrmann score, yeah, yeah, you know, people would say, "Oh, I don't care for that modern music," and they watch it in the Hitchcock film, and and it just clicks. Don't don't realize what what an right. effect that has on the that, atmosphere of it. That's actually a great idea to like play a film score and then see the response, and then show the movie with the film score, and then just see like that's what you just heard. Yeah. Like, yeah. But you're okay with it now. Yeah. Yeah. But Let's, then you'd have a second hearing, like you were saying. So there's so much I want to talk to ask you about. I I have all these <laughs> these these things that I wanted to ask you about. Uh, I know I know that uh, Daniel, you you won the 1976 Young Concert Artist Competition. Do you remember winning that and what that felt like? Theoretically, that's not really a competition because okay. you're not competing against each other, but you're competing sort of 
there is a sort of a weeding out process and and some people are at the end yeah i think my year they took three violinists other years they took no none and i think they took seven people that year and other years they so, so it's it wasn't uh strictly a, a contest like where there's the first and second prize. Is that an important thing at a, at a young age to win those kinds of uh, competitions or whatever whatever they are? Well, in general, the contests are nice feathers in your cap for your bio, and they and they give you uh, some opportunities at the time. Yeah, and and then now now you are a judge at those competitions. Uh, you did yeah. one in Korea. Well, yeah, well that that turned out very as badly as I I had hoped it wouldn't. Yeah. Can you say it's, why? That, well, but, well, the head of the jury was my old friend from studying with Galamian. He chose he chose me to make sure that uh, that the audio, the the jury would be tamper proof because there's there there was a, a well known teacher in Korea whose students always seemed to win things. Ah, oh wow. So, okay. So I was chosen specifically for that reason that I would not be. There's that whole... that. And, my, and my values were higher as musician. Anyway, this this one player, it, 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 sort of the macho Korean kid, comes up and he plays just in the kind of way that it, I don't want this to win. I don't want this to win. <laughs> but that's who won. And that's who won. So so all this political uh, machinations didn't work. Well, whatever. I don't I don't know if the politics played a role or not or. I mean, the guy could play. I mean, he wasn't like that's a yeah. thing. It wasn't like disgraceful, but yeah. But the artist, the um, the artistic value of what he did, I, I was 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 shallow and designed to win. Right, and we're talking and about the two- not what I wanted to hear in a concert. This was the 2017 Seoul International Violin Competition. Just so, what what we're talking about. If anyone wants to look it up, I guess they could. You are both okay. teachers, and you teach at a very high level. Your faculty member Daniel at the Queens College Aaron Copeland School of Music, Mann School of Music, Bard Conservatory. You had been on the Juilliard faculty and others. There's more than that. And Tara, you're the head of the Woodwinds Department in Classical Music Studies at Purchase College. You uh, teach at Bard College, Manhattan School of Music. I saw that you were, uh, I mentioned this in the intro, that you're at the Banff Center. You have a master flute class that has been going on for years. Uh, why is teaching important to you two? I guess I'll start by saying that I think I get more out of the teaching than the students do. Because when, when when you teach, you need to uh, to have a to to clarify the the idea, and then hopefully whoever I'm teaching gets it. But then actually, I have a much clearer idea myself mm-hmm. of what it is. So at, at any level, though, I I get great pleasure out of seeing some some um, idea take hold and make a difference. Whether it's uh, with someone you can you can hardly play at all, you know, I've given some some trial some lesson to people who just wanted a lesson or whatever reason, mm-hmm. and I, I've taught some some like incredible hot shots as well too. So I th- I feel like everyone has the same problems, just a matter of degree mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I get I get great great pleasure out of making a difference that way and also 
I get a lot out of have, having to explain it and it, clarify, it, clarify things for myself. Well, I mean, the, the thing about teaching that's so amazing is that you, you spend your entire life learning, right? So you, and you want to get better at something. So I don't really feel that, that you ever stop being a student. So you're always learning, right? So, so the teaching aspect for both of us is, is both imparting some incredible information that we've learned over the years and gleaned from our wonderful teachers, but also like Denny said, figuring out what it is and how to improve our own playing and how to best articulate it for each student because that's also very individual right everybody hears just differently they process things differently so so in teaching you you also you 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 fine-tune the things that you're also addressing all the time right yeah then very often like the the, the most difficult untalented student I learned the most from like early on in my Queens college days, I had a student who you know, I, I had to sort of take somebody cause I had like two students and I'm supposed mm -hmm. to supposed to have a halftime position. So anyway, so I, I, I took, took a, a student and she was playing along and it was like, it was just so, so, so dull. It was a very, not, not nothing's going on. I said, I just sort of, ah, can you just play more, more expressively? And I got a blank stare, you know, like more, you know, with, with more feeling. What? No, no idea what that was. Then I, I, I had to try to explain it. You know, I said, you know, like, like, like the three tenors on the, on the TV, you know, they're going blah, like that. And she went, what? Oh, I think I heard that once. Oh, God. So, I mean, to, to, so the, the I, I think I made some effect in the end finally, but. But trying to even to try to explain something that was certainly so basic to me when I was three. Yeah, but so so, so you, to most most music musical students. But there I was trying to try to define what it is to be expressive on an instrument. So. Right. But that one just one one final thing is that there there is nothing more exciting than than watching somebody process and understand and then be able to produce the, this esoteric, bizarre thing that that we're all striving to, to, to do, right? Because it's, it's really weird. It's not, it's really hard to quantify, right? It's not like numbers on a page. You're, you're looking for this heightened level of awareness and expression and technical facility and all of these, these things, plus a knowledge, a historical knowledge. So you're trying to get all of this in one package and you're constantly picking at it and working at it. But but that's that's the beautiful thing and to be able to to give this to give what we've learned to pass on hundreds and hundreds of years of teaching through the next generation is the most important thing because that's how you keep it alive right yeah like what i learned my teacher learned from moise for learned from moise learned from you know and you can trace it all the way back it's an incredible responsibility that's the other thing it's not it's not, oh i guess i'll just teach it's like it's it's overwhelmingly um, uh, insane for us at some time. Like you really, cause, because you're responsible for helping this person find their way. And that's a huge responsibility. I could see where it'd be enormously pleasing when it's working and enormously frustrating when it's not. 
Yeah, but but and it, absolutely, and the frustration kind of manifests itself not into like why can't you get it, but what am I doing that you're not understanding? Yeah, right. So so you can't look at it like at this like it's not the student's fault if they can't do something. It means they're not understanding something, right? So then you have to take your ego out of it. You have to be like, well, I'm such, I'm this, I'm that. No, you're actually, you're here to do this specific thing, help this person figure this out. That is your job. And then if they can't figure it out, you have to find another way to, to get into that, into that same space so that they are able to, to be free to express. You were students at one time that we Still talked are. about. And you, you still are. Do you still have teachers? Do you still have someone who listens to you and advises I, I, you? I, I have been, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, and our colleagues. I mean, I trust, if I'm playing like something, like, you know, Chamber Music Society, if somebody says to me, that's out of tune, I'm like, okay, I'm going to fix it, you know, or like, can you do more here? Can you do, we're constantly coaching each other all the time. Right. That's well, amazing. Well, I, I certainly have the benefit of that in my quartet, because in a quartet, you sort of, Right, and my that, that, that's a lot of what what goes on is, is because you're listening to each other, having to yeah. to rec reconcile things, and you have to fit, but you also have to be, you have to yeah. bring something to it, right? Well, same in my quintet, it's the same thing. Oh, yeah, right, get criticized right. Right. constantly. constantly. You no, know, that's out of tune. You're putting a weird accent there. It's like I didn't know I was doing that. So <laughs> right, I, we all <laughs> say, it sounded it sounded fine in my head. <laughs> I wasn't quite listening to it. How long does it take for someone to get to reach the level that you two reach in which you can produce the sound that you want and you have the control to make that sound that you want in the moment, to improv on it, to change it, to get what, and I imagine you don't get it all the time as, as you're indicating, but how, how difficult is that to get to that point? How frustrating is it before you get there? Or is it? Is does it just well, come it, to you? It's unattainable. It's, it's yeah. It's not really an. It's not an. an, an, an actually an atta attainable. It's, it's not situation. attainable. Huh. I, I have like moments where, oh, that sounded. That sounded like that was okay. Like what I wanted. Uh huh. Yeah, but, it, it, but it wasn't like. I I I can't remember any performance that I gave that was like yeah that was it. Wow. Yeah, no, that had me, that had everything. Me either. I mean, you know, you hear yourself back, you hear something back and you're like, I could have done, and you're not listening for what you did well. You're listening for how you can improve upon it all the time. It's oh. like, like the minute you think you're there, you're not, right? Yep. But there we must have been moments in which you were at a concert in which things just fell into place and kind of Fleeting. forgot who you were and where you were and just it just was working. Oh yeah, no question. Yeah, your Bach, your Bach debut, that did your debut concert. Your Bach was apparently legendary. I, I was just like wanted it to be over. And you just but, but uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> but apparently that, it was oh, legendary. That, well, that's that's different. No, it's not. It's what he's talking but, but, about. But I mean, actually having these, I've I've had the experience playing where I felt extra inspired and things were working and stuff. But it's but the other hand, that's not always the best the best uh, gauge hmm. I, I remember that happening <laughs> my, my first summer at the Marlboro Festival I remember or the se second I, or, I, third, I can't remember now anyway I, I was playing the Mozart G minor viola quintet and I was uh, I really felt inspired hmm. even my colleague Peter Sazowski he was playing second violin with me 
he even whispered over, this is going really well. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. Really feeling I'm busy. It. <laughs> so anyway, I, 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 we finished it and there was like, yeah. Oh, like that. And people came back. Rudolf Serkin came back to Oh, what a beautiful work. Oh my God. And, and, and one of my bet, my better friends sort of took me aside and he said, what, what were you doing? up there? <gasps> wow. I thought it was okay. Wow. Anyway, then late, later that summer, I was doing the Dvorak Dumkey Trio with uh, Bruno Canino and Jerry Grossman, and it, it was we, we were working on it, and it was the performance was delayed like a whole another ten days, and it was getting stale, and I guess so. It, yeah, we were we rehearsed it a lot, and then the concert. I was thinking, well, that that went pretty well. This part stank, and. <laughs> I, I did remember feeling inspired in this one place near the end because Misha Schneider had told me that I wasn't really putting out enough. So I, I put out more there. And the, and the ending was kind of a big mess. It wasn't together. And I thought, oh, man. And then the roar from the crowd, standing ovation. Uh, people came back in, in tears saying they never heard anything like that since they can't remember it. So, Wow. What, what happened? But I think often, like the perception of what you're doing here, yeah. and what is actually going out there, is really hard to, hard to really figure out. Like you just, and and if you're spending time figuring it out, then you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? Yeah. Whatever happens. So so the the thing is, it's like and I tell my students this: you have to be in the moment, not like the Carlos Castaneda way kind of moment, uh -huh. but like you have to be in the moment, and realize that it's not about your ego it's not about about what you think it's about what you've learned what you know and that you're a vehicle for what you see on the page you are like basically transporting this stuff and it's your job to do it that's as as beautifully and perfectly and i mean all those things knowing that probably none of those things are fully attainable one of the places that you two have uh, worked that produces fantastic music is the Chamber Society of Lincoln Center. And I had uh, interviewed for this show Fred Sherry, who, uh, who had led the, uh, the uh, center for, for a few years. How important is that uh, Chamber Society of Lincoln Center to, to the music world? Is it uh, an important institution? Um, uh, yeah. abs absolutely, without yeah. question. Well, I would say, too, because what... As far as I understand, like the the way it started was at at the Spoleto Festival in Italy, uh, Charles Wadsworth, the pianist, had the idea of putting together concerts of chamber music, but with world class soloists. In, in those days, uh, in like 1960, whatever, um, you know, the so soloists played their solos and. And, and if you weren't good enough to be a soloist and you were a chamber musician, maybe, or that's how people thought of it. Yeah. And so the you know, chamber musicians would play chamber music, but they they weren't necessarily big soloists. And he had the idea you could have like Pincus Zuckerman and Daniel Barenboim and Jacqueline Dupre actually play chamber music in, in public, not just for fun in their house. Because yeah, you hear stories of Izai and um, Heifetz playing chamber music, you know, in their living rooms for fun, but and Milstein also, but not, not 
not playing in public. Right. Right. So that so that was that was the idea that you get world class soloists and then you're then you're making an amazing kind of chamber music. Right. So I that Alice Tully was so impressed by that at Spoleto that she made a hall for Charles to do that in in New York. So that that was the idea. You have a a, a, a troupe of world class soloists who who would play chamber music on that level. Right. Now you, you, Dan, and I'm not sure, Tara, maybe you can inform me. I know, Dan, you've been a soloist and you've been in front of many, many orchestras as a soloist and, 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 and you do a lot of chamber music. What's the difference in the experience of the soloist in a big, for a big orchestra and, and being a member, an equal member of a chamber uh, string? A little hard to say. I'm that. tempted to say there isn't any difference. Oh, there's on, a big on, difference on, on a certain level because you you just kind of live up to the the role that that part of the music lives up to. Mm-hmm. So in, in that in that way, which which is like the idea of the idea of, of uh, having the ability to be a great soloist when you have um, a moment in a Brahms sextet playing second violin. Uh, that you bring out that's your solo for four measures you need to have the same presence as you do playing the Sibelius violin concerto first in chamber music then you have the ability you have to know how to accompany and and fit into the rest at the same time but the other hand even <coughs> playing the Sibelius violin concerto it's best if you know how to listen and react to the orchestra and the musicians in the orchestra as well in in my in my experience because i've 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 played concertos with orchestras and solo recitals and chamber music but i what i find also is that the, like projection wise i play differently i play with a different kind of sound um a different kind of power when i play concerto because you have to you have to carry over a hundred people which is different than playing in chamber music um, a chamber music uh, experience where where you're balancing your um, your part with others. I also find that in chamber music, um, and especially with my colleagues at the Chamber Music Society, what's amazing about it is that is that you're all like you, like Denny said, you're all soloists putting your part together. But there's a certain kind of transparency that happens with less numbers, which I think is really really interesting and fascinating and you can find you can you can use a wider color palette a wider range of everything mm-hmm. like your your dynamics from from really soft to really loud can be vastly different than it is when you're playing a concerto i think yeah. um and then and then also the idea that like what you said like the conduct if you're if the conductor is following you they are always behind it's a yeah. disaster because then like and i tell my students when they're playing concertos like yeah i know the tempo says 175 to the quarter note but it's not it's gonna maybe go once 150 and they're like no seriously and then they come back and they're like oh my gosh you're right it was 150 <laughs> they couldn't keep up i'm like yeah it's really hard to get a hundred people you know playing at that tempo like it's very it's a very different experience i think okay we're getting really technical here yeah you realize that right good technique technical things but that's the whole idea right you want people want to know the intricacies of it right 150 beats is that's what happens in one minute that's how fast that is right so 100 like 150 of these is in in one minute gives you what the tempo of 150 is like 60 is one second so 100 
50 is is almost a third fa what is it like three times faster thank you yeah but don't you find those the, Sorry. the requirement to project or use a different tonal palette comes from the music at hand yes it's not like oh i am now switching to my soloist no, mode. No. now i'm going to be i mean the the demands of the moment uh make you i, yes. I would say the same thing about but about musical styles do i purposely switch my aesthetic differently to play mozart and bartok okay i, I would say no but but yes things I, I play in a different way but not because i'm imposing my learnedness on it but that this the music suggests itself that way but almost let, more than anything let me flip one thing on you so you're playing brandenburg concerto at chamber music Society of lincoln center and you've got one in a part right mm -hmm. and then suddenly you're playing brandenburg concerto with an orchestra you're playing differently it's the same piece mm -hmm. but now you have to play differently because like brandenburg five when I, I i did this this tour with jamie laredo and peter sirkin we played triple concertos and and the bach triple concerto and bach brandenburg there was a different kind of projection than then and and amount of sound that I had to use all the time, as opposed to when I'm playing at the chamber music study, I still need to project in the, in a similar kind of way, but I have more more room to do what I need to do. All right, from someone who knows nothing, moi, I've seen. I was just watching uh, uh, Daniel you playing with a um, with a chamber piece, and there were uh, it was a woodwind, and I forget it was the Orion. I'm not sure which one it was, oh. but there was a, uh, a kind of the team. You were all look. You were looking at each other. You were listening to each other. There was kind of like a connectiveness there. And at the end, um, the, um, the uh, person playing the viola um, uh, kind of looked at you and patted you on the shoulder. And I felt like there was a, there was like this personal thing going on that I can't imagine you get with a big orchestra. It's like it's 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 intimate. It's personal. It's yes. It's you all being together, like in a nice little cocktail party. Yeah, it's a different rehearsal process too. I mean, like if you're playing a smaller thing, like it's a chamber thing, you guys are working together for a long time on the thing. If you're playing a concerto, like sometimes you just come in, you have two days with the orchestra. That's it. Right. You know, it's a different. Yeah. Well, that that's the beauty of chamber music. It's great. Is that yeah? You do you do have that that. Uh, team feeling of, of co-creating and, and particularly because there's no there's no um outside leader like a conductor to uh to, to to make to make that happen yeah yeah um talking about about that, about that's team. always been the great the greatest appeal of it and and it's it's better if if uh orchestra players and soloists adopt as much of that as they can Right. Yeah, like the the better conductors will will uh, encourage orchestra to play like chamber music as, as if that was a different thing than they were do, supposed to be doing. You 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 two uh, have been um, married for a while. I don't even know how long you've been married. Uh, you you look like you've been a couple for a while. And look that old, huh? No, just yeah. kidding. Well, you look beautiful. You two look beautiful together. <laughs> I was wondering, does there is there ever ever a chamber combination in which the flute and the violin are together? There yeah. must be. Yeah, there are. Okay. Well, there's, there are many, many, many. Okay, and 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 you don't want to answer this. You don't have to. I know, as an old married person who's been married for a long time, sometimes my wife and I get into a ragged place, 
And then we have our ways of getting out of it. Do you ever use music to kind of move away from or to to cover over those points of raggedness, or do you never get ragged? Well, I hadn't thought of that. Let's try that. Sometime. Let's try. Let's. Uh... <laughs> you didn't ah. make the bed. You didn't make the bed. Huh? What about that phrase in the B minor? No. Yeah, that's not going to work. It's not going to work on me. Not gonna... I'm, I'm too. I'm too. Um, you know, I'm, I'm dogged, as they say. Um, but you know, what's what's amazing is that we we have this. You know, we have the day to day house things that everybody has, right? Like, did yeah. you get this? Oh, I forgot. Oh my god. You know, like you know those little things that happen. Um, but but don't you find like they mean less and less as we get older, right? Like, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, that's like, true. That's yeah. Those yeah. kinds of arguments you had as a young person, you just like. No, either i'm too tired or like what it's like it's it's over we've done that already right there's very little that we really really argue about right i mean yeah we're, we're good we're but good. like but what is what is really interesting is we will um uh we haven't played forehand piano in a long time but we need to be really drunk to do that because it's really bad <laughs> um but um you know we that's we so like nice that you can do it yeah we're excited I wanted to talk to you also about the festivals that you're part of. I know uh, Ralph asked me to ask you about the Santa Fe Festival, and I heard that you were now co-artistic directors of the Angel Fire Festival in Taos, New Mexico. What's going on with those festivals? Will we ever have a festival again? Yes, we will have festivals again. Yeah. I mean, I speaking well, from just not this summer. Just not this summer. I mean, I you know I, I play an instrument that is probably the worst offender of viral spreading, right? Mm. The flute because the air comes out of the front of it, mm. it comes out the bottom of it. So I feel like the string players can get back sooner with masks than the wind players because we have this air, you know, spit issue. Um, it's like singers. So, um, but I I am confident, and I this is the thing that I miss the most about. Um, about where we are right now is seeing my friends and playing music and having dinner with them, right? That's that's the best thing about chamber in, music. In beautiful places too. In beautiful places, like you hang out, you haven't seen them all year, everyone's been teaching and doing their lives. You get together, we go on, in Angel Fire especially, we go on these morning hikes oh. that Ida had established. So we get up early and all the dogs and all the people and some of the community townsfolk, we go out and we go on a couple mile hike and then and then we start our day then then it's like 9 30 and then we have to get to 10 o'clock rehearsal and that's a beautiful way to start the day because you get to just talk and kind of just be people around and 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 develop your friendships and connect on a really uh, on a spiritual level which is great um so instead we're going to be in our our house connecting on zoom with our friends i mean it's and it's and we're not going to be able to express ourselves not only just in person as as a friend but also musically um mm -hmm. And, and I've been doing a lot of these recording projects for things, but it's not the same thing layering things on top of other things. It's not the same kind of artistic experience. Yeah, a lot of people are doing that now, like, which is an achievement. I haven't tried it yet, but I've done, it's I've, not really... It's fun, but it's not... Well, if you, well, if you have like a gro groovy piece that has a click track, but, but I've seen people do it with Haydn Quartet. And, and whatnot, but it's... Yeah, but I can't imagine it would be as fun as going for a walk in Taos and... But you know, and, no, 
and yeah. but the thing is like you you know you get out in santa fe at the santa fe chair music festival first of all which is unbelievable it's in a beautiful location right it's in a great town and the smell of juniper is in the air mm. and the air is clear and light and it might be hot but you don't care because you're not it's not humid and then the nights are cool and you can see for hundreds of miles and you can see the stars and this moon and the sun at the same time and lightning miles and miles away and and it's like that every single day and then when we get up to angel fire which is just about 45 minutes um east i think of taos uh -huh. that's where the base is it's a, a ski village in in northern new mexico and there's a little airstrip there and um and it's it's just like stunningly gorgeous i mean the the tall mountain the mountains the trees and that's more of like hiking naturey kind of wilderness place and then um and taos is just beautiful in the same way that santa fe is but but like 50 years behind or something you know mm. what i mean it's like it's just it's it's a beautiful way that we spend every august and we're not going to be there like i was supposed to be in maui two weeks ago and we were supposed to be in portland now chesapeake would have just been over i mean we go basically three months without being home and the dogs everybody come like we all pack pack everything in what a box. life what a life you've got it's great and let it's you get back to it let you get you know let this be over so that you can right so we have to get back right. we have to i had asked you to think of some music that you could recommend it could be music that you've produced or uh, i know that tara you uh, put out an album uh, the way things go yep uh, maybe you could recommend something from that that'll help us get through these moments yeah of social unrest and physical unrest I mean, I'm on like a zillion albums. Well, but, watch, um, put on uh, Share. Share. Belinda Blair. Reynolds, Share would be great. Thank you so much, Tara O'Connor and Daniel Phillips, for joining us here on Hunkered Down. We covered a lot of territory. There was more questions I had, but maybe next time. We Anytime could, you want. We're we, happy to talk to you. And we've was, got time. We've yeah, we, that, got time. That's, that's why I'm getting it done now, because once you all get back to work, it won't be so easy to get you. Thank yeah, you very I, much. Thank you. And nice, stay, stay nice. safe. You too. Thank you. Wear Bye -bye. your mask. Oh, yeah, all the time. You've been listening to Hunkered Down. My name is Alan Winson. If you like what you hear, please contact us at UpperWestSideRadio at gmail.com. And now, as promised, here is Tara O'Connor and Peggy Campmeyer playing Share by Belinda Reynolds.